Part 2, Chapter 2 of The Patrician by John Galsworthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Part 2, Chapter 2 Unmoved by the stares of the audience, Barbara sat absorbed in moody thoughts. Into the three weeks since Milton's election, there had been crowded such a multitude of functions that she had found, as it were, no time, no energy, to know where she stood with herself. Since that morning in the stable, when he had watched her with the horse Hal, Harbinger had seemed to live only to be close to her, and the consciousness of his passion gave her a tingling sense of pleasure. She had been riding and dancing with him, and sometimes this had been almost blissful. But there were times, too, when she felt, though always with a certain contempt of herself, as when she sat on that sun-warmed stone below the tor, a queer dissatisfaction, a longing for something outside a world where she had to invent her own starvations and simplicities, to make-believe in earnestness. She'd seen Courtier three times. Once he had come to dine, in response to an invitation from Lady Valleys, worded in that charming, almost wistful style, which she had taught herself to use to those below her in social rank, especially if they were intelligent. Once to the Valley's house garden party, and next day, having told him what time she would be riding, she found him in the row, not mounted, but standing by the rail, just where she might pass, with that look on his face of mingled deference and ironic self-containment, of which he was a master. It appeared that he was leaving England, and to her questions why and where, he had only shrugged his shoulders. Up on this dusty platform in the hot, bare hall, facing all those people, listening to speeches whose sense she was too languid and preoccupied to take in, the whole medley of thoughts and faces round her, and the sound of the species' voices, formed a kind of nightmare, out of which she noted with extreme exactitude the colour of her mother's neck beneath a large black hat, and the expression on the face of a committee man to the right, who was biting his fingers under cover of a blue paper. She realised that someone was speaking amongst the audience, casting forth, as it were, small bunches of words. She could see him, a little man in a black coat, with a white face which kept jerking up and down. "'I feel that this is terrible,' she heard him say. "'I feel that this is blasphemy, that we should try to tamper with the greatest force, the greatest and the most sacred and secret force that that moves in the world is to me horrible. I cannot bear to listen. It seems to make everything so small. She saw him sit down, and her mother rising to answer. We must all sympathise with the sincerity, and, to a certain extent, with the intention of our friend in the body of the hall. But we must ask ourselves, have we the right to allow ourselves the luxury of private feelings in a matter which concerns the national expansion? We must not give way to sentiment. Our friend in the body of the hall spoke, he will forgive me for saying so, like a poet rather than a serious reformer. I am afraid that if we let ourselves drop into poetry, the birth rate of this country will very soon drop into poetry too. And that, I think, it is impossible for us to contemplate with folded hands. The resolution I was about to propose when our friend in the body of the hall Barbara's attention had wandered off again into that queer medley of thoughts and feelings out of which the little man had so abruptly roused her. Then she realised that the meeting was breaking up, and her mother saying, Now, my dear, it's hospital day. We've just time. 
When they were once more in the car, she leaned back, very silent, watching the traffic. Lady Vannis eyed her sidelong. What a little bombshell, she said, from that small person. He must have got in by mistake. I hear Mr. Courtier has a card for headed Gloucester's ball tonight, Babs. Poor man. You will be there, said Lady Vannis dryly. Barbara drew back into her corner. Don't tease me, mother. An expression of compunction crossed Lady Vanny's face. She tried to possess herself of Barbara's hand, but that languid hand did not return her squeeze. I know the mood you're in, my dear. It wants all one's pluck to shake it off. Don't let it grow on you. You better go down to Uncle Dennis tomorrow. You've been overdoing it. Barbara sighed. I wish it were tomorrow. Car had stopped, and Lady Vanny said, Will you come in, or are you too tired? It always does them good to see you. You're twice as tired as me, Barbara answered. Of course I'll come. At the entrance of the two ladies, there rose at once a faint buzz and a murmur. Lady Vannis, whose ample presence radiated suddenly a businesslike and cheery confidence, went to a bedside and sat down. But Barbara stood in a thin streak of the July sunlight, uncertain where to begin amongst the faces turned towards her. Cordiers looked so humble and so wistful and so tired. There was one lying quite flat who had not even raised her head to see who had come in. That slumbering, pale, high-cheekboned face had a frailty as if a touch, a breath, would shatter it. A wisp of the blackest hair, finer than silk, lay across the forehead. The closed eyes were deep sunk. One hand, scarred almost to the bone with work, rested above her breast. She breathed between lips which had no colour. About her, sleeping was a kind of beauty. And there came over the girl a queer rush of emotion. The sleeper seemed so apart from everything there, from all the formality and stiffness of the ward. To look at her swept away the languid, hollow feeling with which she had come in. It made her think of the tours at home, where the wind was blowing, and all was bare and grand, and sometimes terrible. There was something elemental in that still sleep. And the old lady in the next bed, with a brown wrinkled face and bright black eyes brimful of life, seemed almost vulgar beside such remote tranquillity, while she was telling Barbara that a little bunch of heather in the better half of a soap dish on the window sill had come from Wales, because, as she explained, my mother was born in Stirling, dearie, so I likes a bit of heather, though I've never been out of Bethnal Green myself. When Barbara again passed, the sleeping woman was sitting up, and looked but a poor, ordinary thing, her strange, fragile beauty all withdrawn. It was a relief when Lady Vanny said, My dear, my naval bazaar at five-thirty, and while I'm there you must go home and have a rest, and freshen yourself up for the evening. We dine at Plassey House. The Duchess of Gloucester's ball, a function which no one could very well miss, had been fixed for this late date, owing to the Duchess's announced desire to prolong the season, and so help the hackney cabman. And though everybody sympathised, it had been felt by most that it would be simpler to go away, motor up on the day of the ball, and motor down again on the following morning. And throughout the week by which the season was thus prolonged, in long rows at the railway stations and on their stands, the hackney cabmen, unconscious of what was being done for them, waited, patient as their horses. But since everybody was making this special effort, an exceptionally large exclusive and brilliant company reassembled at Gloucester House.
In the vast ballroom, over the medley of entwined, revolving couples, punkers have been fixed, to clear and freshen the languid air, and those huge fans, moving with incredible slowness, drove a faint, refreshing draught down over the sea of white shirt-fronts and bare necks, and freed the scent from innumerable flowers. Late in the evening, close by one of the great clumps of bloom, a very pretty woman stood talking to Bertie Caradoc. She was his cousin, Lily Malvetsim, sister of Geoffrey Winlow, and wife of a liberal peer, a charming creature, whose pink cheeks, bright eyes, quick lips and rounded figure endowed her with the prettiest air of animation. And while she spoke, she kept stealing sly glances at her partner, trying, as it were, to pierce the armour of that self-contained young man. "'No, my dear,' she said in her mocking voice, "'you'll never persuade me that Milton is going to catch on. "'Il est trop entrageant. "'Ah, there's Babs.' "'The girl had come gliding by, her eyes wandering lazily, "'her lips just parted, her neck hardly less pale than her white frock, "'her face pale and marked with languor "'under the heavy coil of her tawny hair, "'and her swaying body seeming with each term of the waltz "'to be caught by the arms of her partner from out of a swoon. "'With that immobility of lips learned by all imprisoned in society,' Lily Malvetsin murmured. Who's that she's dancing with? Is it the dark horse, Bertie? Her lips no less immobile, Bertie murmured. Order to one, no takers. But those inquisitive bright eyes still followed Barbara, drifting in the dance like a great water-lily caught in the swirl of a mill-pool, and the thoughts passed through that pretty head. She's hooked him. It's naughty of Babs, really. And then she saw leaning against a pillar Another whose eyes also were following those two, and she thought, Hm, poor Claude, no wonder he's looking like that. Oh, Babs! By one of the statues on the terrace, Barbara and her partner stood, where trees, disfigured by no gaudy lanterns, offered the refreshment of their darkness and serenity. Wrapped in her new pale languor, still breathing deeply from the woods, she seemed to courtier too utterly moulded out of loveliness. What end should a man frame speeches to a vision? She was but an incarnation of beauty imprinted on the air, and would fade out at a touch like the sudden ghosts of enchantment that came to one under the blue, and the starlit snow of a mountain night, or in a birchwood all wistful golden. Speech seemed but desecration. Besides, what of interest was there for him to say in this world of hers, so bewildering and of such glib assurance? This world that was like a building whose every window was shut and had a blind drawn down, a building that admitted none who had not sworn, as it were, to believe in the world, the whole world and nothing but the world, outside which were only the nibbled remains of what had built it. This world of society, in which he felt like one travelling through a desert, longing to meet a fellow creature. The voice of Harbinger behind them said, Lady Babs! Long did the punkers waft their breeze over that brave-hued wheel of pleasure, and the sound of the violins quaver and wail out into the morning. Then, quickly, as the spangles of dew vanish off grass when the sun rises, all melted away, and in the great rooms were none but flunkies presiding over the polished surfaces like flamingos by some lakeside at dawn. End of Part 2 Chapter 2